We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Welcome to the Transformative Principal Podcast. This is your host, Eric McKelkey, and today's guest, excited to introduce Mr. Maxwell Roach. Welcome, Max. How's it going, Eric? Appreciate this. Good. I wonder what's warmer today, Canada or Wyoming? What's your weather like outside of Toronto? Well, right now it is spring, so that's fantastic. We did have snow last week, so not sure if it's spring yet, but I guess we'll find out as the weeks go on. <laughs> yeah. Well, Wyoming doesn't have spring. That was a weekend. That was last weekend. So we're kind of bouncing between winter and I don't know what. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show today and talk about you've got quite the background and life story just from reading your bio and a little bit we've chatted. But the topic today we're going to dive into is tutoring. So tell us, how did you get to the point where you are today? You're the founder of the John Abe's Learning Club. Tell us about your journey. Well, for sure. And again, thank you for for having me here. This is fantastic. The journey, it was, as I was saying, when we just hopped on, it's been wild. It's been wide. It's been broad when it's honing in, if not honed in at this point, it's been fantastic. If you've been listening to Transformative Principle for any amount of time, you know that I have a love-hate relationship with EdTech. We have the ability to personalize learning for every single one of our students, and yet so many of our EdTech tools fall short. We need our technology to do more for us. That's why it's so important for me to know that IXL provides true personalized learning across the entire pre-K-12 curriculum, and that it's proven to benefit all student populations, including English language learners and students in special ed programs. As a principal, I've used this in my school, 
as a parent, I've had my children use it as well. And let me tell you, this is a tool that definitely helps students learn and practice better. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non-IXL schools on state assessments, and independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies that IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results combined with IXL's teacher-friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? Now, you also know that I don't care so much about test scores, but I know that they are legislatively convenient and something that we have to deal with and manage on a day-to-day basis. If you can implement something that is easy and effective, why wouldn't you do it? If you have a goal to increase achievement for all students, make sure to find out what IXL can do for you. Visit IXL.com slash B for a demo. That's IXL.com slash B-E. So just starting out in, in going through high school, of course, and university heading into computer science first. And realizing that, you know, forget it. I don't really want to look at a black screen all day, every day. So I actually ended up, uh, my mom, so she actually ended up finding a music school for me, right? And this is a different place to start, right? Instead of starting in education, starting kind of more so in music, a little bit different. So I ended up finding a music school. My mom found this and I auditioned for the music school, got in, fantastic. And that was on drums. So performing as a percussionist. And this was across the country. So I was, again, I'm in Canada. So I was living in more Eastern Canada and this was in Western Canada. So I actually had to drive in a car with my parents, packed up in a four-door sedan with all kinds of musical instruments tucked in the back for about 44 hours. (laughs) But that's how I got to starting my career within music, which was life-changing. And what I didn't realize at the time was how it was going to take, where it was going to take me. I mean, the things that I would learn and how I could even apply it to uh, my current company as well, Johnny's Learning Club, and how I was able to take those skill sets and understanding of people and understanding of how to really connect with people and organizations and with people's intuition and the things that they enjoy and put it into a business context. It's been fantastic to have that background. So living in Western Canada was great. You know, I'm on my own by myself, first time away from home from my parents. And I ended up graduating college there. And then I moved to Toronto, Ontario. And that's really where things started to take off. And wow, what a fortunate place to be in to launch my journey in my professional career when at that time, again, was not in education at the time, but I was being educated, of Mm -hmm. course. And it really grew into something else. I, I was able to, as soon as I got there, I got there at the right time. And it really is a note to always listen to yourself. And it's something that I always speak to, especially with my children and even those who I'm tutoring and even those who I just speak with, right? Always make sure that you're paying attention to that little voice that's inside you. Because if I wouldn't have made that move, I wouldn't have been able to do things like be on tour opening for Beyonce and the Rolling Stones and all these large names and and just being able to understand what it's like to be performing at a high level, I guess you could say. Not saying Mm -hmm. regardless of whether my talent is at a high level or not, those who I was was surrounded by were at a very high level. So you're automatically brought to that stage, right? And really fantastic to see how business operates at that level as well. And I think I was very fortunate to be able to see that and be able to take that information and also apply it to other sectors. So being in in music was fantastic, but again, it takes you all around the world, right? So when it does that, and then you start having children, you know, I met my wife and you start having children and you realize that, wait a minute, when I'm out on tour and then I come back 
home and then the house is dark because my wife is away with the kids to the parents house to her parents house i don't want to i need to be in my kids lives so this sort of led to changing everything my mindset changed i said i need to be there for my children so what am i going to do and the most natural thing to do at that point as a musician is to open a bread business and start creating your own bread from scratch and delivering it to grocery stores and getting into grocery chains, right? I, I thought you were going to say start teaching music lessons or something connected to your background. No, something more obvious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? So as, as you could note, it's completely on the other side of the world, right? You're, you're going from art to business in the sense of making a new product and trying to hire individuals and learn how processes work in a kitchen. I didn't have this experience, right? But what that taught me was, wow, my skills were transferable. Most of being able to master an instrument. Now, again, I'm not the master of the drums, though I spent quite a few hours on them. So I understand certain intricacies that maybe others may not, right? And that's probably the most that I'll say about my talent there, but it was earned, right? And you work at it mm -hmm. and you figure it out. And so being able to do this once, in one localized domain and take that into another domain, it wasn't that challenging for me because the work ethic was the same. Now, completely different language, right? Understanding food and having to get my food certification and all these things, right? And working with businesses and knocking on doors and just do, being my own salesman and having to hire and fire people who were burning my bread and all this stuff, right? So you learn a lot. And I think going through that, it actually led me this is the short story. It led me towards being hired at a tech company, a multi-million dollar tech company. And I was the director of operations at this organization. And we went around the world yet again, for me yet again, going around the world. And we were actually administering scholarships to universities. This was a big learning curve for me because we were talking quite technical. Now I did come from computer science, but that was years ago. And we know how tech moves, right? It moves quickly. So yeah. I'm going through and I'm learning all this information and one thing leads to the next. And so I ended up leaving that company effectively. And I said, what do I need to do? And this was during COVID. So what do I need to do here? Well, I need to be home with my kids and I need to keep growing. Here's another natural move is I ended up becoming the CEO of a childcare organization where we had 250 children across four centers, right? As you can see, another unrelated domain, right? But again, went in there, started speaking with the staff, brought some of my learnings from the tech industry and started speaking to them, having these one-on-one -on -one conversations. And this is where the idea of one-on-one, -on -one, which is what we're going to talk about later, is that every single person needs one-on-one -on -one interaction, right? Whether it's a child, whether it's a baby, whether it's an adult, whether it's someone that you're working, that is working for you or someone that you're working for. Right. This one on one interaction is very important. Being able to do that and understand that was something that was craved by a lot of the early childhood educators. It led me to believe that there must be more to this, even within the school system. So after leaving that position there, I said, OK, I think it's my turn. <laughs> right. And of course, I was raising my children and, you know, my children, we were teaching them quite a bit of things. They were able to do long division by the age of three and they were reading by age two and things like that. Right. We implemented. our And, own and you taught them that? Absolutely. You 100 percent. Where did you even know where to go to to teach that just based on what? The way you learned growing up or well, as I'd mentioned, academy for preschool or well, as I mentioned, it was the holistic approach of understanding how to master something. And this is where my education within music, 
it really came to, to, to fruition because I said, well, if I needed to learn something on the drums and let's say I'm learning what's called, okay, so there, there's this technique, it's called single stroke rolls, right? What it is, is you're just playing really fast with each hand alternating. That's all it is, right? It might be a technical term, very simple. But how do you develop that? Well, it's not magic. You start slowly. You start with one hand, then you start with the next hand. And then you keep speeding it up. And then you keep speeding it up. Very simple, very molecular. That's it. I applied the same principle to teaching my children. And my wife was the same. My wife's also a musician, right? We applied these, these principles to teaching our children. And lo and behold, here we are with also digital tools, which is fantastic. And some people may not agree with me, but I love digital tools. I love the computer screen. I love television screens when the content is correct. So we were able to put this content in front. Listen, we literally would pick up our children and put them in front of the TV and start pointing. We would pause YouTube and start pointing at words and reading with them. And then guess what happens? They can then point at the words themselves and they can read it with them. And then they would be reading books. They'd be reading signs outside, all kinds of things. Apply that to mathematics. We're doing one plus one. Now we're doing two plus one. Now we're doing five plus three. Now we're doing, at this point, my children are doing introductory algebra at this point. Both of them, both eight and six years old. The only reason why this happened is because we were at least somewhat consistent with it. Right. And we really wanted to do it. And I think we just made it a part of our lives. We made it a priority. So we can dig into this, of course, some more. But I think that was the basis of where John A's Learning Club came from in the first place, where I said, if I can do this here twice with both my kids, mm -hmm. then I've got to be able to do this with other people's children. So I tried it and it worked. <laughs> And then it started growing and growing and growing. And now we're doing remote and virtual and all these things. And now we're using Khan Academy, as you had mentioned, to create a curriculum, right? Use our curriculum in order to administer it to people who'd like to use it on their own. It's been great. It all came from an unexpected place called music. Who would have thought? And here we are applying the same principles. And again, happy to speak with you today because would love to hear thoughts on what, how you feel about tutoring as well. Because my thoughts are, yes, everyone needs that one-on-one. -on -one. Now, how do we make this happen more readily available? That's another question, right? That's where we are. That's a bit of the journey, I guess. And yeah, hopefully that answers some of that. Yeah, that's quite the journey <clears throat> from where you started to to running the the John Aves Learning Club. Talk about a couple of U-turns. You, you had a few of them yeah. already. Um, I remember this was pre-COVID, which is only highlighted. And you had mentioned this as we were emailing the importance of tutoring is one of the, if not the best ways to address learning loss since COVID, since the pandemic. But I remember going to a training or a conference and we we're talking about intervention because you think about the way the traditional public K-12 schools set up, 25 kids come in, we teach a lesson. In reality, some of them already know it. Some of them are so far behind that they can't even comprehend what we're teaching because it, they're missing the foundational skills. And it's a real challenge just because of the American K-12 public education model. But the speaker said the best intervention, because we were talking about how to build intervention in the school day to help students that need that or enrichment. And I remember this stuck with me for many years. He said, the best intervention is one-on-one -on -one kitchen table. So you think about when you sit there one-on-one -on -one with a student at home, because it's your own student, or somebody in your classroom where you keep them behind, grab them at lunch, recess, after school, whatever, and you just sit there and say, okay, here was the skill that we taught. 
What are you not understanding? And you can really meet them where they're at, help them build some skills, fill in some gaps and get them to where they can be proficient and do what you're teaching. Well, again, that model doesn't fit easily with the way we educate children in public schools. How can one teacher do that with 25 kids? It would take a lot of extra staff. And really, that's one of the challenges that I was mentioning before we recorded is like tutoring. It is part of our model. We offer that summer school, after school programs. We have a four-day week. A lot of schools are going to that and utilize Fridays as tutoring. We pay tutors more than ever because of federal funding to address learning loss. But we also have a harder time finding tutors than we've ever had. Teachers, they want their time back. That's more valuable than any hourly wage you could pay them. And it's hard to blame them for that. And there aren't a lot of certified or confident, competent people that aren't teachers that would love to come in after school, summer school, Friday school. So how would you say your vision of tutoring fits with our model of K-12 education? Or are are they not puzzle pieces of the same puzzle. What do you think, Max? This is incredible. Firstly, thank you for being in that space where you're open to having tutors within the building. That in itself is its own challenge that I find in Canada we're actually having right now. I've spoken to quite a few, uh, whether they're superintendents or whether they're principals or whoever it might be within the K-12 stream. And what I found is that there's a lot of resistance when it comes to bringing in tutors. Now, I have an established organization. And if I can't do it, (laughs) but here's the funny thing, is that there's one school in particular that my son goes to, that I went in there. And so we switched my son into a new school. And what ended up happening was I started talking with the parents, right? I find out that some of the parents are going in and volunteering their time Mm -hmm. to read with children to do some supplementary mathematics during the school day. Now, I love during the school day. I think that there's a lot that can happen here. You mentioned after school. One of my issues with after school is that now more than ever, there are things for children to do, right? They have sports, they have Mm -hmm. extracurricular, they have this, they have that. Maybe their parents aren't available after school because parents are trying to make even more money than they used to because of how life is moving forward, right? So it's very difficult after school. And also you made an amazing point where you have one person to 24 to 30 children in a classroom. So how do you deal with this, right? So I went and I spoke to some of the parents and they said, well, yeah, actually I go in and I, you know, I, I help with reading. And I'm like, okay, interesting. And so what, what do you do? Like, what's your profession? It's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a police officer. It's like, okay, sure. Right. And obviously you're a parent uh, or I'm a nurse. It's like, okay, I guess. I'm not sure if these people actually had the time in order to understand exactly how every different child learns because Mm -hmm. they have their own child. Absolutely. But until you actually sit down with other children and see where they're coming from, man, it's going to be hard to teach every child how to read. So I'm thinking, okay, why don't I just go into the schools and offer my services, right? I just want to come in and help. And we get a lot of resistance for things like that here. So To answer your question, how do we actually approach this? I think one of the approaches, and some people may agree, some people don't necessarily agree, but I feel as though during the school day is the time to have students actually come out of their classroom and get that one-on-one help. Now, it's not going to be every student every day, right? Maybe it's 
one one maybe there's one tutor per per classroom, right? And they take one of the children out every day, or maybe two or three of them every day for 20 minutes. We tackle one concept because once you start learning about the child and giving them the confidence, because remember, this isn't always all about learning. It's about reframing and also understanding how the child learns. So when I say reframing, I mean, listen, let's be real about it. Not all kids want to sit there and learn variables within their classroom. They don't know why they're doing it. They're just sitting there trying to absorb the information. It's boring. Their heads are on the table. It's terrible, right? Let's be real. So how do we frame it in a way that allows them to actually enjoy it? And this is where what I found with our curriculum, what we do, right? I make sure that I apply it to maybe it's to a video game that they're playing. This is why you need to learn this. Or if someone loves making money, hey, this is why you need to learn this because cash flow, whatever, whatever, right? Apply it to the child's life and allow them to use it later or even on the same day or later talk to their family about it, whatever it is, right? Apply it in that one-on-one -on -one way. It's not just about giving the information. It's about really interacting and building that relationship. That's one approach that I'm curious to go down and also to hear your opinion on what if you have a tutor per class and you bring students out of the classroom? Is that something that he maybe has been tried? Because I know this conversation has happened indefinitely, right? This, there's no new conversations out here. Right. So that would be one approach that I would think could be kind of interesting. Well, and I agree about the importance of having it as part of the school day. When you're talking interventions or enrichment, you can offer things before school, after school, uh, summer school, Friday school, but those are invitations. The only way to, to ensure that kids actually show up and get there and it, and it, and it works is it's got to be part of the school day. It may depend okay. if you're talking elementary versus middle school versus high school. I think the high school level probably has the biggest challenge as far as where does that fit in because students have required classes, they need credits to graduate. You can't just pull them out. Teachers will feel like they're falling behind. They're missing what we taught. But there are certainly ways to do it. And if you're going to do it, I would agree with you. It definitely needs to be part of the school day. My wife talks, we were talking on a road trip couple of weeks ago, she said, you know, if we really want to change education, I have an easy answer. And I was like, really? Tell me. Love to hear it. <laughs> she said, I know it's going to cost a lot of money, but for every classroom, hire two teachers just to have one who can take the lead while one is meeting with small groups of students, one to plan lessons while the other's grading tests. She's like, just think about all the things as a classroom teacher, you're looking at the 25, 30, 35 kids in your class, wishing there was more time in the class period, wishing there was somebody to help you with other things. And schools don't have the money to fund double the staff that we have in every school in America. But I think she's right about how much more effective would you be as a teacher if there were two of you, or if there was a tutor in every classroom and you could actually intentionally plan hey, we're teaching this lesson. It's a required standard. It's on the state assessment. Half of you already know it. You're going with teacher A. The other half are going with teacher B. And you, and you can divide and conquer and meet kids where they're at and be a little more realistic about the way we educate children. I don't know that I've ever seen a school that does that really well, that has a system for that and also has a way to honestly pay for that because it's a lot of money bringing people in. But it's interesting that what you're feeling where you're at is there's not a lot of openness to even like volunteers 
where I am, if someone volunteered and said, can I come in and help teach kids how to read, do math, stay organized, be a mentor? I mean, we would love that. That would be more than okay. So I'm not sure where that comes from. Do you know where that comes from in your system? So I think a part of it comes from, some of it comes from the need for some individuals to just require control. And listen, we're all built to some degree to have this within us somewhere, right? Is you have pride in your job. You take pride in your job. Now, and sorry, just to back up a little bit, because what you had mentioned actually does happen in some schools uh, that I know as well, where there are two teachers that are actually in the classroom. It's interesting that there are certain things that are implemented in some institutions or some states or some provinces or some schools, and there are other principal, other portions that are not included, right? So this does happen. I still find as though there's a bit of a, uh, it doesn't work. <laughs> Let's just put it flat, yeah. right? Plain. It isn't working. If it was working, fantastic. Like Here's the thing. With us in Canada right now, I, I was looking at the 2018-2019 uh, information. So... 58% of students in grade three are hitting the math, the mathematics standard. Only 58%. In grade six is 48%. <laughs> Something's wrong, right? So whatever we're doing isn't working. And I think the resistance really just does come from, there's a lot of pride in their jobs, which I agree with. I've spoken with principals and they have a lot of pride in their teachers and their institution and all these things. And I understand, though, I just look for results. It's where I come from. Again, I started in mm -hmm. computer science. I just want to see the results. One thing that I was thinking when you were speaking is there a way to do this on a virtual front so that you don't necessarily need to have teachers in the classroom all day? You can actually have uh, individuals, whether it's from a tutoring organization or whether it's from wherever it may be, and have them, have the students sit with someone in a virtual sense, because this is, listen, we're in AI, we're in Zoom, we're doing this by Zoom right now, right? And have the student maybe even for 15 minutes at that point sit down and attack one principle. Okay, I don't understand how to add fractions with different denominators. Perfect. We're going to go over this for 15 minutes. That's all we're going to do today. That's it. Maybe you're doing this in a small group with children from other schools. Like, I'm just thinking about this from a completely different perspective at this point, because again, what we're doing, we're just rehashing these problems. And like you were mentioning, the teachers want their time back. And here's the problem. We're adding so, I was listening to a few of the podcasts that you were doing as well. And it was interesting to hear that some of the approaches of some of the guests that came on, right? were fantastic. I'm listening. I'm like, this is great, but we're still putting so much on the teachers. I feel so mm -hmm. bad for teachers. Now they have to deal with the mental health of all the children. Now there's diagnoses of whatever it might be, whether it's ADHD, whether it's autism and they're it's through the roof at this point. I don't know what percentage it is from what it used to be previously, but now the teachers have to, they have to pay attention to this. They have to document it. They have to deal with it. They have to provide special learning for them. Well, it might be time for an outside organization to come in. This is what I'm thinking to help out in this res respect, because we can just think outside of the box. We have the time to do it, right? The teachers are busy doing the thing that we need them to do, which is love these children and teach them the way that they can exist in the future. Right. So mm -hmm. it was interesting that you were mentioning having more than one student, or more than one teacher within the classroom. What if we tried to do this virtually and what could that open up? Could open up a whole new sort of land of learning, right? Which is really fantastic. But anyway, I guess some of that kind of moving forward toward the conversation is, has there been any sort of virtual use within the school when it comes to connecting with the children, maybe from an outside perspective? 
Yeah, I know that the adults in the school were aware of now more than ever the resources out there. I think about like in my own education, when was tutoring an option? And the only time I can think of is like in college, they would pay students who, I don't know if they were TAs or they were just good students that would be in the library that you could go find. I remember I had a statistics teacher that I really struggled in the class and I knew there was a statistics tutor in this room in the library these nights of the week and I loved it. It was like, hey, I took notes. I'm trying. I don't understand it. And they would help me. I think sometimes we use technology in a way where we tell students there's resources out there. Khan Academy, how long has that been around? Kids have access to it's free. Students have devices that we issue them. It's like, if you didn't get it, figure it out. Mm. There's so many ways. And I, I even, I've done this myself where I'll tell kids, you know, in the old days when I wanted to learn something, I had to go to the library and check out a book. <laughs> and and kids are like, huh? It's like, you guys don't know how good you have it. Every answer to any skill you want to learn or master is at the tip of your fingertips and it's free. It's open source. And now you don't even need a tutor. You have AI that, that can do it for you. But I'm not sure that we know how to harness that power as educators. We kind of default to, well, there's technology out there. If you didn't get it or you need help, you should seek that out and find a way to learn it. But we don't always know. There's quite the divide. Here's an example. My, my girls are four and two. And yesterday I tried making them some eggs for breakfast in the shape of a heart. And my two-year-old, I caught her at the end of breakfast telling my four-year-old, hey, dad tried hard. It just didn't turn out. <laughs> so they were disappointed with, I don't know what specifically with my cooking. Did they so say, this they morning, couldn't say it to your face? I was doing the dishes and it was a sister conversation. They didn't know I heard, <laughs> but they wake up this morning. My wife's been out of town this weekend. So they wake up this morning and my two-year-old says, can we have eggs and bacon again for breakfast? And I said, yes. And my four-year-old said, dad, let's watch YouTubes on how to make heart eggs. <laughs> so it like her approach is just use technology and watch a step-by-step -step example with visuals and learn what you did wrong and fix it. And in my mind, it's like, oh, I don't know. I'll just go figure it out. I'll try again. And even my four-year-old really is so much more in tune with how technology can help tutor, whether it's math or trying to make a heart-shaped egg. But I, I would never think of that. I wouldn't think, let me get up and watch a YouTube video on how to do it right. Just a big divide there where I don't even know if we really know how to harness that as the people designing the school, teaching the lessons, being the experts, some kids seek that out. You see that, you hear that, but it would definitely be more powerful if there was a way to bridge the gap between the generation of learners and the generation of teachers, because there's quite the divide. Let's talk about flex time in schools. If you've been listening for a long time, you know how important I think this is. It gives us more time for personalized learning, increasing choice and agency for students, and the increased enrollment that comes with it dedicated time for intervention and enrichment. And overall, as school leaders, it gives us and our faculty more tools to increase academic achievement. But the implementation and management of flex time can be so tough. Tricky logistics and a lack of clear accountability systems can prevent teachers from buying in and can hold us back from ensuring students make good use of their time. I'm pleased to share that MyFlex Learning provides a solution to these challenges and more. 
MyFlex Learning helps you create and manage flexible time for any purpose. And with seamless SIS integration, a student locator, flexible daily rostering, and an intuitive mobile app, it eliminates the common challenges of implementation and management. Want to see for yourself? Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more about it and receive $500 off the first year of use. That's myflexlearning.com B-E. This is definitely something. So a few things here. It's fantastic stories, by the way. <laughs> Love it. So I finally learned how to solve the Rubik's Cube, right? It's YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> I finally figured it out. It took me however long. Again, it's not like I actually put time into it previously. But at the end of the day, what's the fastest way to learn how to solve a Rubik's Cube? You know, 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago. I, have, I actually still don't know to this day. The only way I know how it's possible to solve a Rubik's Cube is to go on YouTube and find one of the thousands of tutorials that are there. And it, what's incredible is that not only do we need to appreciate the ability to harness the skill set of searching for things on the internet, the kids, this is their time to learn information, right? There's infinite studies out there that talk about between the ages of two and seven, that time frame is when those switches really turn on. They lock in as to what the children are interested in, how they learn, all of these things, right? If you provide them with information that's available, positive information, please, would be great, right? Mm -hmm. On YouTube, on whatever it might be. Could you imagine? So my children now, I mean, it's crazy because my son can solve it. We figured it out. So my son, he's six. So he's got the Rubik's Cube, three by three. He's got it. He, just today, we just figured out the final steps for him because my daughter's been doing it. I don't even know how she moves her hands like that. But my daughter's been it for a while. My son now has it because, as you said, how do we harness it? We can still provide what we can as expertise. Because here's the thing. And I bring up this Rubik's Cube story because if I would have left my daughter to do it by herself, she wouldn't have figured it out. It would have taken her a long time. She would have been very frustrated. And guess what? The tools are there. But if I can teach her, listen, you have to slow things down. You have to keep trying. Pause the video. Rewind the video. Just give mm -hmm. those little nuggets that we take for granted of things that we're an adult, right? We understand these things instead of because I agree with you. There's this mentality of go figure it out. It's out there that, well, wait a minute, but they're, they're children. <laughs> Could you imagine if someone came to us and said to just go figure something out? what well, we would be who we are today, where now we're telling the other, the, the next generation, just go figure it out. But the reality is that now things are moving much quicker. So they need the information quickly so that they can now start developing them. How else are we going to grow as a society? And that's the beauty of it. And it's funny because you were mentioning the stories previously of, oh, back in my day, this, this, that. And as we get older, it becomes like that running joke, right? Where there's the, oh, back in my day, I used to walk 200 miles to school barefoot with a sandbag on my back. And it's like, we almost become that as we grow up as well, right? But if we can just embrace the fact that this technology exists and there are ways to be creative within that. And again, organizations like ours effectively, right? Again, even through this conversation, thinking about what if we connect virtually, then it doesn't even matter where I live. I don't have to be there in the school. You don't have to pay me a day rate to be there. You can pay me some rate that's cheap or whatever it might be because I can do it in bulk or I can do it from my home or I can do it from my tutoring studio or I have other tutors that can do it or I have other students that I can have tutor 
virtually. It's just these are ideas that I feel like if we can have these conversations and just keep mixing the pot, right? Maybe one idea doesn't work. Maybe there's another idea that does work. Maybe we try one. And that's the hardest part that I'm finding here in Ontario is that actually trying something first is very difficult for individuals in Canada in general, right? A lot of things from, that happen for us usually happen in the U.S. first. And then we look at it and we say, oh, that looks like it's working great, right? Excellent. It, listen, it's, a, it's the age-old joke up here, right? Whether it's in music, whether it's in education, whether it's in technology. Actually, technology is pretty good here because we have our University of Toronto. We do a lot of things in AI here, right? University of Waterloo is another one. Fantastic. But those are the types of things that I think are holding us back. And if we can have more of these types of conversations, maybe because what you've told me, I already have new thoughts at this point, right? So maybe there's something that I said that may spawn a couple things either for yourself or whoever it might be or whoever your listeners are as well. Hey, there are options out there that are beyond give more work to the teachers because that can't work anymore. They have too yeah. much to do. Yeah, that that is definitely the case. How about this, Max? I don't know if the Canadians have the same reaction to the word tutoring that Americans do, but it has a pretty negative connotation. So if you were to approach a student or a parent of a student and say, hey, your student needs tutoring or is required to have tutoring or is offered tutoring, typically that comes off as they're not where they are supposed to be academically, which is true. That's why they need tutoring. But it, it's almost seen as a punishment. Do you have any ideas or have you had any success with finding ways to overcome that negative connotation of tutoring? The first thing, it's funny because I, I feel like I had this answer while you were speaking, right? And usually I don't have answers while people are speaking. I just feel so passionate about terminology and about optics. Tutoring has always had a negative kind of connotation to it. Now, you were mentioned, you got into it a little bit earlier as well when you were mentioning back in our day when we, we were younger, tutoring wasn't necessarily something that was accessible like in elementary school. It was accessible. I can't remember any of my friends getting tutoring unless they were really just underperforming, like very much. And you wouldn't even really know if they were getting tutoring. They definitely weren't in the schools. The tutors weren't in the schools. Getting into college or sure the TAs are coming in, those things make sense, right? High school still didn't re really see tutors, but it has kind of had that negative light, which makes sense because that's how it started. We are actually changing the way that we look at tutors by actually changing the terminology and changing what we call our tutors. So we're actually calling them personal instructors, right? Personalized mm -hmm. learning instructors. And the reason for this is because the idea of learning on a personalized level is not only academic. In fact, I would argue that it's not mostly academic. It's having a relationship. It's understanding who the person is that you are tutoring, right? And I almost want to remove the word tutoring, but it's the, that, that person who you're teaching, who you're instructing, how, who are they? What do they like to eat for breakfast, right? What do they watch on TV? What do they do in their spare time? Oh, that's interesting because you like to have a little, you, you do lemonade stands during the summertime, right? You're in grade two, you're in grade three. Why are you struggling with math? Oh, I don't like math. I'm bad at math. And that's the other thing is stop telling kids that they can't do something, right? Take out that T, right? Because they can do it. If you can do one plus one, you're doing math already, right? If you could, if you like to run lemonade stands or sell jewelry, have a little pop-up shop. I see this happening in the summertime around here quite often. You realize that money is math, right? Oh yeah, but I'm not good at math. Okay. 
let's take a look at this. Let's say you have a dollar you're selling this thing for and someone gives you $2. What do you get back? Oh, you know, a dollar. This is the same concept throughout all mathematics going through high school. It's the same mm -hmm. thing. Some have shapes attached to it. <laughs> they call it geometry. Yeah. It's sure. So as long as we make things simple, and again, my music training comes back to me, bring it to the molecular level. Everything starts with that single stroke. It's one hit at a time, one note at a time. If you're playing an instrument, if you're playing a guitar, you're playing a, a piano or something, right? Mathematics, same thing. Listen, reading, it's one letter at a time. We're trying to push these kids to read and they can't even write their letters properly yet. They can't even read the letters properly yet. Start from the beginning. I think that's a big piece of it from, in my approach anyway, from what I've seen has been successful. Yeah, and <clears throat> I was thinking about the the difference between the stigma or the negative connotation of a, a tutor versus kids or sometimes parents that want their students to really excel in athletics, for example. It's almost a point of pride if you were to tell someone, I have a personal trainer mm. who's helping me get faster, stronger, dieting, learning the skills, learning how to play the game. And, and you compare that to academics and it's like, why is it such a negative stigma if you need help learning versus if you're trying to get a college scholarship to play hockey, I'm trying to think of a Canadian sport. Nailed it. That's your... Okay. <laughs> Spot on. Yeah. If you had a personal goalie trainer who was teaching you a goalie technique, it's like, yeah, I want to get better and I want individualized instruction and I want to fill in gaps of what I don't know and I want to be the best I can be to open up future opportunities for my hockey career. Well, why would you not want that in math or reading or science or history or any other academic skill? And I don't know the answer to that. And I don't know. I agree with you that there's a lot of power in words and changing the verbiage from tutor to a personal instructor goes a long ways. I was thinking in my mind, I'm like, man, how could you make it sound like something students or families would want and pay high dollar for in activities or athletics. And it's like a personal academic trainer. Yeah. I've got this guy who he makes sure I know how to do every academic skill I'm going to need to open future opportunities for my education. Yeah. I think that's incredible. And like you said, trainer, imagine if someone came to you and they're training in whatever it might be. Let's call it baseball, right? They're learning whatever it is, how, the, the certain pitches and all these things, right? They have someone that's training with them, doing the right workouts and stretches. But instead of calling them a personal trainer, you call them a personal tutor. <laughs> Immediately. I'm behind. Do <laughs> <laughs> you see what I mean? Immediately yeah. you are thinking, because this is how we're trained as individuals. There's a reason why the term the pen is mightier than the sword is a, it's an age old adage. Because it is the way that you listen. There are many leaders out there who we know them who have been seen as negative, but they still led millions of people. It's because, again, the pen is mightier than the sword. If you can speak, if you can write, you can overtake anything. You can seduce anything. You can manipulate anything. So I think that verbiage is very important. So this is why we've actually made this change. And to be honest, we've seen a lot of positive feedback in, with respect to it. People feel as though they can stick their chest up and out high and these things as though I have someone that's actually personally working with me and almost like you're working together on a project instead of 
you're showing me how to do something. This is what personal training is. You're working together, right? Someone's telling you, hey, keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. But that's not what you're doing as a tutor, right? As a tutor, you're saying, you don't know what you're doing and I'm here to help you. But as an instructor or a trainer, I love trainer because then you're telling them what they can already do and to keep doing it. And that's the beauty of the of words and understanding that children already know how to read. It's just that they need to keep doing it. So trainer is very interesting. A bit odd to say educational trainer, but hey, mm-hmm. I like it. I love how I feel when I hear you say that. So kudos to you for that one. And we'll have to talk more about that. But I think that's a big thing that that really helps in pushing ideas forward is changing the landscape, changing the mind frame of exactly what this is, what it sounds like, what it feels like. Because listen, change the name of something. And like you said, the dollar amount just increases like crazy, right? So it's just, I like that though. That's a great insight. And there's no shame in that as a professional. Myself as a principal, that's how Jethro and I got connected. There's so many things I didn't know how to do and still don't. When I became an administrator, I listen to podcasts. I read books. And then I find out he's got this group called the Mastermind where like-minded principals meet, help each other. And then if you've listened to some of the podcast episodes him and I do, that's how I get paid for doing this podcast is he does one-on-one principal coaching and said, hey, if we can turn it into an episode, you get a discount on the rate. I'm like, so you're going to help me get better and I just have to put it on the internet? I don't care who listens to this. Help me get better. And people like you, you had mentioned this too, Max. It's like you just, you see how things are done right and you want to help others do them right. And you want to learn, you want to utilize your skills and there's no shame in that, but trying to get that to transfer from other things to academic skills maybe is more of the challenge when you're talking to students and what they're learning or what they're behind on in in school. No, it's great. And I think that's, again, because organizations like myself, we've just been focusing on this. This is all that we do. We only take children and try to either keep them ahead, right, is what I found. There's a Mm -hmm. contingent of children who are already ahead and the parents just want them to stay ahead. Or you have the children who are behind and they want to catch up. This is, we only deal with these groups. So as a teacher in a school, You're dealing with the whole classroom. You're trying to make sure everyone is at least at the same level. You're ignoring the people who are ahead, right? And you're kind of helping the ones that are below, but you still have to move on to the next subject. So it's very suboptimal when you actually think about the process, but it's how it's been for the last who knows how many years. So we continue, but things have changed. It's a big piece of it. And once we realize and really internalize that there are so many resources out there that are available but also that we can use our personal just understanding of life in general, right? Of the of knowing where these children are going and just provide it to a child. Like you said, right? Our children remember everything. Your kids are going to remember that heart story for the rest of their lives. And it's because you were there with them doing something with them. That's all it is, right? So if we can also provide that for children, and I'll, I'll, I'll say one more thing as well. My children take abacus classes. So for those who don't know, an abacus is there's four beads on the bottom. There's one on top. And it's a Chinese way of learning, of doing mathematics, right? It's actually a lot of fun. I'm learning it as well. I had to learn it or else my daughter would, would, I wouldn't be able to help my kids at all, right? And they're excelling. It's fantastic. So 
I'd be sitting there, right? And I would tell my daughter, can you please go and do your abacus homework? Great, right? These kids love it. I don't know. I think it's hilarious, by the way, because I was never running to do work. My kids just run to do work at this point. So she's going up there and she's doing her work. And But this is what happens sometimes is I'll, I'll be downstairs maybe cleaning up or doing some other things, working on other projects. And then I'll come upstairs in about 10 minutes and my son might be done. And my daughter's just sitting there. She's done two questions. I'm like, what, what's going on? You know how to do this. And she's like, oh, I don't know. Is that like, okay. I might give her one tip of say your numbers out loud while you're doing it, right? Because some of this is mental math. So you don't, you're not even allowed to use the actual device. And just this one tip and me being in the room physically within that same 10 minutes, she's done four times the amount of questions. It's just because someone is there. That's all it is. They're kids. They just need that. They're growing, right? So just being there is such a big piece of it. And we even talk about, <laughs> this goes into a whole other concept about, again, try not to get in too deep, but there are homes who have no fathers in the homes, as an example, right? How does that affect the child? Well, it's different when a father is there as opposed to when they're not there. Why? It almost doesn't even matter. The reality is that those are the results. And when you see, and as a father, when I see the difference that I make in my children's lives, you have to be there. So if we're not really there for the students, even though we are, we're there in person, but again, it's one to 25, one to 30. It's a tough battle. You imagine fighting 30 people? It's an issue, <laughs> right? We need someone to just be there. The parents can't be there all the time. They have to go to work. They have all these other, they have bills. Their mind is somewhere else. How do we help to make sure that this happens? And I do think that it's the responsibility of us as educators, right? To be able to come in and say, we need to figure this out. We can't keep talking about it, right? I'm looping myself into the educators just because I have an organization, by the way. I do not put myself on the same level as any teachers. Y'all are amazing. Principals are incredible. I don't know how you do what you do. And we need you. That's the biggest piece. And the other thing is that it's not a competition. I'm not coming in to take your work, take your students. I would never want that. You don't want me in the classroom doing that. Believe me, right? We need to support each other. And that's a big piece. But yeah, some more of that. I love talking about all of this. It's really fantastic. Yeah. Max, please, we'll have some links in the show notes, but please make sure and share what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with you if they have questions or want to reach out about John Aves Learning Club. Oh, yeah, for sure. So please visit our website. First thing, johnaves.com. So J-O-N-A-Y-V-E-S.com. I'm on Twitter as well. So at John Aves TV, J-O-N-A-Y-V-E-S TV, Maxwell Roach on LinkedIn. I also look for me because you'll find me on YouTube. You'll find me all over. One of the things as well is on YouTube, we actually have a YouTube shorts channel. So at John Aves TV, J-O-N-A-Y-V-E-S TV. And it's actually our kids just doing math problems, right? Shorts. So I'll ask my daughter, what's six plus 15 plus 65 minus 40 plus whatever. And she'll do it in her head. And then she comes up with the answer. And then she goes back to the playground or something, right? Just yeah. some fun shorts like that. We've got quite a few up and reach out, right? Take a look at the website and follow me on Twitter. It's, I don't know, life is great. Enjoy life, have fun with it. We need to go back to having fun. The world is so serious these days. Teachers are working so hard. Let's lighten the load like you were mentioning a little bit and try to figure out how we can spread the the, the workload a bit. And we can, we can really push this forward to make a huge difference. Yeah. And thank you for coming on the show. It's been a great discussion. It's really exciting to think about some of the ways that we can 
really help kids in a better way and and make what they need to fit the model of the way we've been doing things, at least in America, but also in hockey and in Canada. Listen, so hockey training is intense up here. If you want personal trainers for hockey, or maybe we can turn them into personal trainers of academics, right? Because it is intense up here. And my wife feels like I'm a little bit of an old school dad, but I can't wait to tell her when I see her dinner tonight. And she says, who was your guest on the show? Because I told her the topic, but I'm going to tell her this guy's got two kids and his two go-to dad tools are the Rubik's Cube and the Abacus. And she'll appreciate who she married. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna make you sound like a medieval mathematician, Max. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I don't want to have to prove that. So <laughs> let's leave it there. That's good, though. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I'm a history teacher and English teacher by trade. So my wife gets frustrated how much I emphasize the importance of knowing your American presidents. And right. my wife sings them the ABCs. I sing them the presidents at night. And she's like, why are you doing that? They don't need to know that. Hey, listen, any way that kids can retain knowledge. You know what? We're going to have to talk about that because I need some help with some of that as well, man. That's, But yeah. again, any value to these kids, right? I think it's all incredible. And it's great that we can just spend the time with them. It's all awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I want to finish with this, Max. What would you tell principals? What's your suggestion as far as what they can do this week to be a more transformative leader like you? Yeah. Great question. So I would say it's interesting getting information about giving information to principals, not as a principal, (laughs) right? But I would say really open up the playing field. Now, when I say that, there are other options, especially when it comes to comes to using digital tools and accepting the kids who they are. Not all the children are going to learn the way that we expect them to learn in a place where it's actually pretty much catered to one type of learner. Open up the playing field. Like you said, there are things that we can learn in so many different ways. So why not try to at least explore those ways? And talk to the kids. If I were to say one thing, talk to those children. Find out why they aren't doing well in certain areas. That's it. Encourages teachers to talk to the students. And ask them why. Because we don't know. Maybe there's something happening at home that we don't know about. Maybe they just don't want to do the work, so they're not doing it. So I think finding out why is a big piece. And I'm telling you, the kids will appreciate it. I've seen it firsthand. So yeah, ask them why. Listen to the students as well. And I'm sure you do, but maybe just something to reinvigorate sort of a way of moving forward. Yeah. Thank you. That's a great suggestion, Max. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. It was a great discussion and really appreciate you making the time to be a guest today on Transforming the Principal Podcast. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate it. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, 
check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.